The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Hey, it's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In this episode, I've got Hyla Nayeri. She's the co-founder of 437 Swim and Activewear. She's an entrepreneur, and I learned so much from her in this episode. So I found out about this brand a few years ago on social media, which is probably how you found out about it first. And she talks so much about how social is an amazing tool for building your business, especially as an independent brand, lessons that you can learn from her building a fashion brand along the way, and how she's grown her team and gone through so many challenges. So if you're interested in building a brand and want to learn tips how to start, keep listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the Life with Mariana podcast because I've got new episodes every Tuesday. So I've got to ask because I don't know, what does 437 mean or what does the brand name come from? It's funny. It was actually our house number in University College. It's It was, we lived at 437 Johnson Street and that's where my co-founder slash best friend and I lived. And when we were launching 437, the company, I, we just, I just felt like one of the biggest and most important factors when we launched was that we didn't spend all this time thinking of like the, you know, ultimate name in terms of like, you know, thinking about it for weeks on end and like this perfect logo and this perfect business plan. Like we were just like, what's our house number? Yeah. 437. Okay. Yeah. Let's just do that. Like we didn't know that this was going to be this, you know, a company this big and it'd be, you know, six years now. It just was, let's just start this, you know, swimwear brand at the time, see what happens. And yeah, that's, that's essentially the story. (laughs) I love that you didn't overthink it because I think a lot of times what happens to people is they have these dreams. They know they want to start something, but they're so overwhelmed by like the sheer amount of things you have to do to just start a business that it holds them back because they're, they want a perfect logo and they want these things. So then they just never launch. Yeah. I just found that the best thing you can do is like get started get some of that like market traction, some validity, like, oh, people are like, you know, engaging with what you're putting out there. And then as you have a little bit of that revenue, then you start reinvesting, you rebrand a little bit. For me, it's like that MVP, that minimum viable product that like, what can you launch with as soon as possible to kind of get as, you know, as much feedback as you can and then improve. Because what often I see is either I'll see a founder who's like, super excited and like wants to launch something. And then a year later I'm checking in and she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, working on it. And I, I still don't know. And, you know, and then they just give up sometimes I see, because it's just like too much going on. Whereas I'm like, just launch, get it out there, see what people want. Cause you know, sometimes you invest so much into even like one product, one logo, one, you know, persona. And then and you realize that, wait, this is actually not resonating with people. I spent my life savings here. Whereas like, is there a way in which you could have launched with a fraction of that? And then you got the feedback and then reinvested that money into making it the best version. So yeah, that was the strategy that worked when we were launching. 
I think that's such great advice that you just gave because I think a lot of people get so overwhelmed and nothing is permanent. Like you can reinvent and you can change and you can rebrand. And just because where you started, like, isn't where you finish, even thinking about something like Amazon, like at the beginning, they sold books and now think about what their site has become. And so just because where you start the brand, it's just about getting started and getting, you know, something out there into the world. Yeah, exactly. And now I think people see the brand and it's like, wow, this is so dreamy and amazing and these photo shoots and all these things. But getting to this point, there are so many challenges. Uh, What is one of the challenges that you had that you think people could learn from? I'm like shaking my head. I'm like, wow, the amount of challenges we've we've had. You know what? The one that was probably the scariest and and, and most challenging we've gone through was we were essentially... Yeah, we had $30,000 stolen from us right when we essentially the first year that we launched. And this was before even paying ourselves. So what happened was we wanted to do our second collection ever. And this is when we were only swimwear at the time. And we wanted to do our second collection ever. And we wanted to produce it in New York. We just liked that, you know, it was locally produced. And so we went over to New York. We met with a vendor that produced for like really high-end brands that we all know of. And I was like, okay, wow, this is legit. They showed us around. They, you know, dined us. They, I was like, okay, this is amazing. We started working on samples with them. And mind you, this is leading up to peak summer season, I believe summer of 2018. And everything was in line. We put our deposit of $30,000 down. We were just like, this is our first year in like $30,000 was a lot for our company. We were not getting paid at the time. So we... The samples were going, everything was great. And then all of a sudden, like about a month before production should have been finished, they were being really slow to respond to their emails until it eventually became that they stopped responding to their emails. Then we start calling them, texting them, everything, no response, like nothing. And then I, we were freaking out. <laughs> so I called one of my best guy friends who lived in New York and I said, Hey, like, do you mind checking on like their look, like their place that we, their office? And he's like, yeah, sure. He goes and he calls me and he says, hi, La, like, I'm, I don't know how to tell you this. Like, they're not here. Like, it looks like one of those movie scenes or like the wind's blowing through the windows. There's like a few pieces of scraps here and there. Like they clearly, like he spoke to the front manager of like the building. Oh yeah. They left overnight. They owe the building money and they're gone. We never heard from them. That entire summer's production was gone. And it was one of the most challenging things, but I have to tell you that it became one of the biggest, biggest blessings for our company because we were there, my best friend, my co-founder and I, Adrian, we're sitting there receiving this news and we're like, what the heck? Like, what are we going to do now? This is our collection for the summer. We we don't want to keep pushing the same collection we just launched with a year ago. Like, like they want new things from us. Our small community at the time wants newness. And so we all we had time to do was look at the existing product that we had and we had time to bring it in new colors but i said like these are the same styles like i I wish we could have some like new styles for our customers so so you know what i did i i tried on our one of our most popular tops the kenzie top and i tried it on and then you know what i did I, i put it on backwards i put the back of the suit on in front of my chest and i realized oh my gosh like we can tie this top and then I tried a bunch of points. We could tie this top over 12 different ways. And we just got so creative with that. And that was what we became known for was our versatility. And so then after that, we started designing bathing suits that you, we could actually tie multiple different ways. And that just became one of the big value propositions at 437 and was the reason actually we scaled in those early years was because of the virality of 
the Kenzie top. So it was one of the most challenging, but one of the biggest blessings to 437 as well. Wow. That's so scary and challenging. And it's so hard because obviously like you need the money and like, that's what you need for the business. So if someone's listening and they're really nervous about working with a new vendor or Mm -hmm. a new place, like what can you tell them now of like making sure you're working with people? Cause even like you thought that they were working with these great places. Like, how do you even know going into a working relationship like this? Yeah. I mean, you really don't, but I think the best way to protect yourself is number one references, you know, like really, you know, trying your best, you know, if you reach out to a manager, like, do you have any references I can speak to? Or, you know, can you reach out to someone that, you know, that maybe works with different vendors or, you know, see if online, if there's any reviews for this manufacturing plant, because obviously that's most important. And, you know, I, I know of people who create contracts to protect themselves. And of course we do that as well, but Here's the thing. At the end of the day, like we're a Canadian incorporated brand. The the vendor was in New York. So even if something went wrong, like were we going to bring like a cross-border lawyer to work on this that, you know, we lost $30,000, the lawyer probably would have cost us 50. Like, you know, like it really is difficult when it comes to like international law and contracts being upheld. But I would definitely say, you know, how are they interacting at the beginning stages? You know, are they taking long to respond? You know, do they seem like they work with a lot of people? At the end of the day, we thought that they had all of those things when we were, when we went to visit them and we did our due diligence and we still got, you know, put into this challenging position. So you have to do everything you can. And then at the end of the day, these are the risks that entrepreneurs do have to take. And you just have to, you know, run with it when, when it happens and make the most out of the challenging situations. But I pray it never happens to anybody else, to be honest with you. I know. And it's so challenging when you're coming into the space because you didn't have any fashion or brand experience before launching 437, right? We didn't have any fashion experience. We didn't have any investors. We didn't have any followers. We didn't have any, like any education around starting a clothing company. So it was very challenging. We were just like the ordinary girls in business school. And our business program was really traditional. Like, here's how to become an accountant. Here's how to become a consultant. Here's how to become an investment banker. And entrepreneurship was just not highlighted when we were in school. So it was going against essentially the norm. And we got teased quite a bit, actually. You know, people would tell us, oh, well, you know, when 437 doesn't work out, it's going to look really good on your resume when you apply for a real job. Like these were a lot of things that we were hearing. And I felt like we had no clue how to do any of this. And so that's why I like to tell people, I mean, you really don't need any of those sort of experiences or investors or like connections. Like we didn't have any of that. We're from, we went to school three hours outside of Toronto. Like we didn't have any of the connections a lot of people in LA and New York did but it's possible. Like it's doable. You just have to work hard and you have to put yourself out there to, to try to get those connections as you're building the brand. So this episode, we're talking all about fashion and there's a fashion brand that I love. So if you guys are excited to hear a little bit about that, this episode today comes from Jenny Kane. Think minimalist meets luxury. Jenny Kane items are classic, comfortable, and California inspired clothes from cotton or cashmere knit sweaters that you're obsessed with to flowy summer dresses you'll never want to take off. I feel like that's exactly how I like to describe my personal style. It's just elevated everyday basics and wardrobe essentials. It just really makes getting dressed easier than ever before. And when it comes to investing in an outfit that'll last, we choose Jenny Kane. For a limited time, our listeners will get 15% off their entire order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code Mariana at checkout to get 15% off. I love Jenny Kane because they're really pieces I want to keep in my wardrobe forever. I want to grab them season after season. 
in so many different scenarios. And I know if I pack them for a trip to take with me somewhere, I can wear it so many different ways. I like that I just feel chic and put together and elevated, but comfortable all at the same time. So if you go to their site, it's so aesthetically pleasing, minimalist. It's a California dream, which is just my personal style. And no matter the season, their dresses are the it item you will love and you definitely will get compliments. Their Riviera slip dress is the definition of luxury. And the Cove dress is so effortless to style, you can just feel the difference. Whether alone or paired with a lightweight sweater, they're guaranteed to be worn on repeat. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code Mariana at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code Mariana. The brand go-to for all season staples. Treat yourself because you deserve it. And what you were saying about like other people's opinions, I know so many of us deal with that, whether it's peers in our work or our family and friends not supporting us. So how did you guys manage and deal with that? And like, what advice could you give other aspiring brand founders who maybe don't have a supportive group of people around that? I mean, first and foremost, I would try to seek out a group of people that are positive around you, you know, whether it's auditing the circle around you, like if it's your friends or family, and they're just not supportive, and they're quite negative, like you have to find ways to only take so much doses of that, right? Like, how much can you audit the people that you spend a lot of time with? Because you have someone in your close circle that's constantly bringing you down and doubting you. I mean, you really have to revisit those people. And, you know, maybe it's like, okay, it's your family, you can't disassociate with them. But, you know, maybe it's that you really protect your peace before you go see them and after you see them and remember that, hey, like this is their opinion. They're not going to understand this, but I need to then counteract that with a lot of positive people who can bring more and inspiration and support into my life. But, you know, we had a lot of negative comments. And mind you, like this is back when we had a Facebook page for 437 and we hadn't even launched on a website or Instagram yet. Like, this and it's so disheartening, right? Like as women, we need to be supporting each other and lifting each other up way more than the whole teasing and that that sort of uh, approach to things. And I think it has dramatically improved these days. But that just fueled us, you know. I I wanted to prove to women that this is possible. There was so much going against us to to make this work. Like who would have thought these two random ordinary girls coming out of Canada would would have a you know a brand like this and I wanted to show people it is possible and I just I just allowed it to fuel me and inspire me and now it is my mission to bring that positive positivity into other female entrepreneurs other entrepreneurs in general because like like you said like there is a lot of doubt out there and there's a lot of criticism out there and how can we bring more love and support you know when I see another founder posting her journey on TikTok and she has like a thousand followers and starting out like I know how difficult that position was. It is, it is like I was there only five years ago. So I try to bring as much love and support as I can to those people. Was there a point at the beginning? So you launched the brand. What point did it start gaining more traction where you're like, okay, wow, like we really want to continue to do this. We're really seeing something here. We want to go into other categories. About a year and a half into the company full time was when we realized that, okay, like we are onto something here. It's starting to pick up a lot more. We hired our first employee. We started paying ourselves about a year and a half to two years in. And it was about that time things started picking up. And I think that it was a lot of the influencer marketing we were doing, a lot of the social media marketing we were doing that was, you know, really starting to build this momentum and traction for 437. And we started bringing in new collections and 
yeah, and we've just continued to expand since then. And, you know, even a year and a half ago, we launched into activewear and it, that was even a really interesting journey, how, you know, it starts off a lot slower because, you know, your audience trusts you for one category, right? Like they come to us for like extremely flattering swimwear. And that's what we're known for, for our community. And when you first launch a new category, they're like, okay, is this one, a one-time capsule drop? And what was really important to us was that, no, like this is who we are, like wellness and flattering fits has just been integral to 437 since day one. Like I work out every single day. Wellness has just, has been a big part of our social community as well. And we were like, okay, like it's going to start out slow because, you know, it's a, it's like launching a new brand genuinely. Right. But then I think they realized that like, okay, this is not going away. They're launching every single month a new Activewear drop. It's gonna, and then we're doing events, we're doing pop-ups, we're doing collections with influencers with activewear. And over time, you know, it it starts picking up, it starts building momentum like 437 did five years ago. The exact same seemed to be formula. And now this past even January, you know, activewear was 50% of you know 437's total revenue that month. And it's it, it's just it's crazy to see that you you can't just give up when you have like a slow launch. When we first launched 437, on our launch day, we had two, two orders, like, and one of them was our friend. And I think nowadays we see it so glamorized, you know, we see people on TikTok, like launching a brand and on, on launch day, they're printing out their orders. You know, you see like the, the, the videos of all of the orders being printed at the printer and like, there's like hundreds and it's covered, covering the floor. And I think that it really sets this reality of, oh, you can just easily launch a brand and you're going to sell out. And the reality is that it's, that's not the case. Of course, there's exceptions and that's awesome. And, you know, I I think if we can learn from those people, that's great. But the reality is, is that it is a lot slower. You know, you launch, you don't have always successful launches, you start slow, and then you just, you just don't give up. And that was like, the most important thing is when we had slow times, and we got $30,000 stolen from us, and we wanted to quit, we just never did. And we just said, how can we make the most out of the situation, learn from it, grow from it, and, and just keep pushing. And going from two orders on the first day to now what the business is, you've obviously done a lot for the brand and marketing and building out the team. So what were some of those key marketing things that you did or anything that is low cost for new brands that they could apply to their marketing strategy to help grow the business and sales? That's exactly the position we were in at the beginning. We had no money. All we had was about, I think about like 600 bikini sets when we were launching like our that was like our moq and we didn't have money to pay for like a huge influencer campaign or an event or a pop-up or so all we could do was believe in our product which we did so much we knew how amazing it looked on our bodies and how good we felt in it and what we did was we did like a very grassroots essentially influencer marketing strategy where we were reaching out to a lot of smaller scale, medium scale influencers. And we were sending, you know, we were just sending them a DM saying, Hey, like we would love to send you a suit. No expectations. Like we didn't even mention any expectations. We just, we would just love to send you a suit. And that's all we would send. And, and I think that's the secret to influencer marketing, right? Is that we believe so much in our product that we know that like, she's likely going to wear this and she's likely going to love it. And she's likely going to, post about it, maybe tag it. Or even if she doesn't, there's going to be a lot of people in the comments asking where it's from. And I'll, I'll probably go in myself and respond if she doesn't. And, but at the same time, like word of mouth was huge for 437, you know, like that's been the number one thing. Like, so I would just say that, you know, we understood that when we were doing influencer marketing in the early days, we were reaching out to, you know, influencers and celebrities with 
you know, millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers, like we understood that we weren't going to get a response. Right. But we started reaching out to their friends, you know, who had less followers. You know, we started working with, you know, the micro influencers with $10,000, 10,000 followers in the city. And I think that that just started essentially like a, a canon. What's the, what do you call that? It just started building momentum for us. And then the next thing you know, it, the influencer that wasn't responding to us who had a million followers, her best friend was wearing it. And then she reaches out to us personally wanting suits or actually buying it herself. And in some cases as well. So I think that in terms of influencer marketing, we just, we, we, we started small and no expectation. And that was the key. We believed in our product. And then of course we used social media as well. At the time when we were launching, there wasn't TikTok yet. So we were, you know, one of the, you know, the Instagram brands that kind of came up and, and was growing a following in that way. And you have to just be able to cater to the times and the platforms, right? I remember when COVID hit, my sister, who was 12 at the time, was like, why aren't you guys on TikTok? Like, why aren't you guys gifting, you know, these TikTok influencers? Like, why aren't you doing this? And I was like, who, who are these people? Like, I'm like, they're, they're not my age. So I don't really, I, I don't know anything about this category right now. And she sat me down, taught me everything I needed to know about the app. And then we were still at the time where we were able to connect with a lot of the TikTok stars before they essentially blew up. And we got a lot of placements through that just because of my sister literally sending me the names of these people to reach out to. That she was like your mini influencer marketing contact. <laughs> exactly. I always tell her, I'm like, you have a role when you're ready. Now we all know how important it is to hit your daily hydration goals, but why does it seem like we must pick between something that'll hydrate us properly or something that's tasty, but full of sugar and who knows what else? We shouldn't have to pick between staying health conscious and taste, right? Well, now we don't. Thanks to AirUp, a new drinking system that flavors water through scent. AirUp is the world's first water bottle that harnesses the power of scent to bring flavor to your water. You're getting all the benefits of drinking plain water with the added enjoyment of flavor. AirUp's natural flavors excite water like never before. Simply pop on a flavor pod, fill it with water, and sip. That's it. All the benefits of drinking plain water but made tasty. From watermelon, peach, to wild berry, and cherry, AirUp has a flavor pod for every palate. AirUp is the hydration solution I've been looking for. Find your flavor today by clicking on the AirUp link in the description. We have a bridal collection, like a subcategory at 437, which is bridal. We did a custom bridal suit for Mitsan last year. It was like all over Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy because it was just like, you know, she's such a friend of the brand. We've collaborated with her so many times that, you know, we designed this suit just for her special day. And everyone was asking like, where can I find this? Like, where can I get this suit? And, and so we just put it on pre-order. And, and when we launched it, it sold out like three times in a matter of months. And we're like, okay, clearly there's a market here for bridal swimwear because A, I don't know any other brand, swimwear brand that's doing like elevated bridal. But then second of all, like typically right now, what you see is like these, these one pieces from Amazon, you know, and no offense to anyone who's gotten them, but they just say bride and then bridesmaids on it. And you know, there's a market for that, but there's also a market for a little bit more of an elevated luxe swimsuit for like a really nice bachelorette or like a honeymoon. So we launched that one suit. It did so well that actually next month we're launching in April, end of April, we're launching a probably like a 20 piece bridal like collection. And it's like cover ups, you know, sheer dresses, really beautiful suits from a honeymoon. So it's a little bit sexier, a little bit more risky, but then also these beautiful like silhouettes that are so bridal and feminine. And so what we realize is like when you experiment, you oftentimes like we've experimented so many times and we're like, okay, that didn't work. That flopped. Or sometimes you experiment and we're like, wow, like we just 
found a new category that a lot of brands aren't in. And our audience is actually approaching this sort of timeline where a lot of people are kind of getting engaged and are starting to think about bridals. So let's let's get into that. And it's been really fun as well. It's, it's just like a beautiful category. So sorry to go back to social media. The bridal lives a lot on Pinterest because that's where a lot of bride-to-bees are spending their time. So we've just really realized that like different platforms speak to different people and different parts of their lives. And like, how can we meet them there? Yeah, I think that's such incredible advice. And I think a lot of people listening that have businesses probably want to try something new, but they're really scared because it's an investment. So how do you not pivot, but add either another category or something new and try something without investing too much? Because if it doesn't do well and you're a small business, what you don't want to do is like be spending money on something and then you have all of this inventory that you can't sell. Exactly, exactly. I always like to take the MVP approach, like the minimum viable product approach where, you know, in the past of 437, we have launched things like, you know, sweat sets or lounge or, you know, different accessories. And a lot of times when we do these sort of collections, we don't go crazy on the inventory. We do something that we think is pretty safe to test it out. And oftentimes what we do is we just kind of analyze, like, did it sell in a capacity that we think has potential. I think a big a big mistake that I see that we've done and I see other entrepreneurs do is that they think it's a flop because it didn't it didn't launch the same way like their tier 1 product does on launch day. And like I think that's a huge mistake because, you know, like you're known for that tier 1 product, you're not known for this new category. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt like but what does a successful launch for a new category look like? And that's the question that they should be asking. Okay, maybe it's 30% revenue of what we typically do on a regular launch day or okay like we'd be you know can we analyze is it you know a new customer or a repeat customer coming that'd be very interesting to know if it's like if it's if it excites a customer that didn't necessarily want to shop for your original category but maybe they're like oh i need an activewear brand to go to and then they come for that so i would say like the analysis part of it is very important you know not investing too much in terms of inventory even when it comes like to the marketing of it i think you know, there's like two approaches, right? Of course, some people are going to say, you know, go all out, you want to, you know, get the best results, and you want to really test it properly. You know, as a self funded bootstrapped company, like 437, we've always kind of taken the more, you know, let's, let's try to do it to the best of our ability. But let's not put everything we've got, like in terms of financing, all of 437's budget into this, let's, you know, try our best to be as creative, like what's the biggest output? What's the ROI? Like what's like that 80% that's really going to matter to the, to the audience. So for example, if we know that gifting is going to be a lot more important than like a $20,000 shoot, then I'm going to put more money into gifting. And that's going to be a better indication of, oh, okay, people are seeing it on their favorite influencers, creators, and, and that's going to be more successful. So that was, that's definitely an approach I would take. And then, yeah, like giving it time. Cause you know, it, like, trust me, if, if we, looked at our first activewear drop and we're like, oh, you know, like it wasn't as whatever. I, I would be like, it'd be so sad if we we gave up there. You know, it takes time. And you here's the thing. Once you see success, then it's time to reinvest. Now it's time to re not necessarily rebrand, but now it's time to put a lot more budget into it. When we chose active to launch into a year and a half ago, as a founder, we have gut feelings, right? And they're not always right. But I had a really good gut feeling about Active. I just knew our customer. They come to us for very flattering swimwear cuts, right? Like our bottoms cinch you a specific way on the waist. 
they flatter your butt a specific way. Everyone knows for like our customers know us for like what we do with the the backside of the body is like very flattering. And so I was like, well, activewear leggings are very similar in that sense. Like a black legging is a black legging, yes, but when it has like a really flattering curved bump seam and it has like a like the front of it is cut with like a V cut in the front with no front seam. Like what that does to your body and enhances the backside and cinches in the waist and it's a lot more flattering, like in a more hourglass-esque figure, like that matters a lot to our community. So I just knew that this risk we were going to take, I just knew if we kept at it, my gut instinct was it's going to pay off. So we went in, we went all in, in in terms of the fact of like, not that first launch, but just the fact that we were not going to give up on this category. We went all in. We included it in our collaborations with influencers that they did when they designed collections with us. We just kept launching new colors. And that's that was a very interesting thing is like we thought that our audience only wanted neutrals. You know, the espresso set, for example, like that's our number one activewear seller is, you know, the espresso activewear set, the leggings and the bra. But we were shocked when we launched like a matcha color or like a really beautiful baby blue or like the pinks. And we were like, wow, okay, like in the summer, like they really want bold colors. So I think experimenting, because one thing I've learned when speaking to entrepreneurs and I consult a lot of them is that a lot of times as founders, we have so much pride and ego into our products, right? Like we think they're like our babies and we're like, oh my God, they're perfect just the way they are. Like, you know, don't give me any criticism on it. Like, don't like, it's perfect. Nothing needs to change. And, you know, well, (laughs) I've learned, again, I've been in that position. I've I've coached founders in that position. It's just that when we feel that way, then we're not really receptive to A, like what the community is saying, what the feedback is. And we're not, we're essentially closing off to improving our product. And I've seen founders just like think their product's perfect. And then two years later are closing up shop because they're like, well, it didn't work out for me. And, you know, every time I subtly was trying to give them some advice, like not, not through coaching, but just as like a friend. And I had to kindly say it, but they never really took my advice. And I'm not saying it would have been the right solution, but I just think that, you know, maybe it is the branding that didn't work out. Maybe it was the logo over time. Maybe it was that one product that you thought was perfect. I think that you have to be able to say, okay, this launch wasn't successful. Or, you know, when I launched this company and right away, I didn't get many orders. And then I launched again, another collection, and it also didn't get orders. And then again and again, but I'm doing the right things. I'm doing the marketing. I'm working with influencers, whatever it is. You have to be humble enough to look at your product and say, okay, maybe there's something about this that our customer doesn't need. Like maybe there's enough competition out there for this one category and that we're not innovative enough in it yet. Or they're not resonating with this branding or this price point for the consumer that we're speaking to doesn't resonate. And I think we just have to be humble enough to really look at ourselves honestly, at least on an annual basis and say, what can we do to improve? I think we do this at 437 all the time. Like we're constantly rebranding and pivoting slight pivots in a way that, okay, like as Adrian and I, my co-founder and I get older even, and we're speaking to a little bit of a more mature customer every few years. Well, she's showing up in different places. She wants to be spoken to differently. She wants colors and styles that are a little bit different. Like that's exactly how bridal came about as well. So I think just really important for entrepreneurs or anyone in their career, right? Like you don't have to be an entrepreneur to be humble enough to look at, Hey, like, how can I improve? How can I get feedback and not just feel like what I'm doing is 
completely perfect. Yeah, I know that that's really hard to take our ego out of things, especially when it's our own baby of being like, okay, it's not about me. It's about the brand and what's best for our brand and product and doing what's best for the customer. And so we've even like iterated on things and changed things and updated them. And then as those have happened, even though it's scary to do at the time, just because something is good doesn't mean it can't be better. And we always think that like, if it's already good, it's not good enough. How can we make it an even better experience or a better product? One of the things too is obviously like we know influencer marketing works, social media works, but there's so many other levers to marketing of getting people to buy and try and see the product. So what are some of those other things you're doing outside of social and outside of influencer gifting to get people to 437? Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of other things that we do is a lot of in-person type of events or for example, in Toronto, we have a showroom. We had this two years ago, or I guess three years ago before the pandemic, where it was by appointment only our customers, because Toronto is a huge community for us for 437. So we would, you know, by appointment only, they can select a time, come into the space, really aesthetic, you know, take pictures, but then also, you know, have like a one-on-one appointment with, you know, a sales associate where we're kind of walking them through all of our collections, giving them an experience, you know, the fancy water, and just like really showing them that like, this is who we are as a brand. We're very community driven. Like, we want you to experience the brand, not just for like the product, but like who we are, how our team is, you know. And so we're actually reopening a showroom in Toronto next month as well. And of course, like our plan before the pandemic was to open one in LA as well. And then we came to look at spaces and the pandemic hit. And that was a whole other story. But, you know, we do event like sort of initiatives like this because I think it's really important for the consumer to be able to connect with who we are as a brand. And again, like, 437 was really built on relationships, right? Like the relationship between my best friend and I, and then the relationships and the trust that we had in just like everyone we were working with at the time to just, just trusting them of like, Hey, like, like let's meet up. Like when I moved out to LA, when 437 just started, I came out here for three months. I sold my car in Toronto. I was not getting paid at the time. And I was just like, let me move out here because the relationships are so important. And I'm not saying you have to come to LA to start a brand. But I wanted to learn what this world was like. And obviously, it's like the hub for a lot of brands and this sort of consumer social space, influencer marketing. And I came out here and I kind of learned a little bit about it. And every single time I had an opportunity to connect with an influencer or a photographer or a model, whatever, I I would just connect with them. I would go take them for coffee. I would you know bring them to lunch. And I just know how important relationships are. So we really make sure that that is a huge part of our ethos and we connect with our audience. For example, we also do warehouse sales. Obviously, this is also a strategy in terms of like removing, you know, kind of it's like Black Friday. It's like, you know, how can we also, if we overproduce something, you know, is there a way in which we can move through this product a little bit discounted? And we do a huge warehouse sale in Toronto every single year. And the the line is usually four hours and it goes through multiple blocks across the city. We have a really cool drone shot of it actually. And we even went on to campus tours. So we went to the campus where, you know, Adrian and I went to university. We go to a bunch of different campuses in right now in Canada. And the last one we did at Queens University where we went, there was a three hour line in the blizzard snow in the middle of, I forgot, in the middle of winter. It was wild to me that people were waiting in the snow. And I think that just shows like, how much effort we put into sort of like the community aspect, like we are nothing without our community. And so everything that we can do to connect with them, like the amount of speaking engagements that I do, like 
I genuinely believe that a lot of this has a factor into 437's growth because I don't know, I think people like to feel connected to the brand. They want to know that there's people behind it. I think that when people don't know who's behind the brand or what's it like, they just think it's these big, like unthinkable CEOs and they're a lot older and they're, you know, maybe it's a man behind the company and, and, you know, they're drop shipping. Like who really knows what people can think when they don't actually know what's what the team looks like, the craftsmanship at 437, where it takes us nine months to a year to literally anything you see launch, it takes us that long. The amount of sample processes, it takes us so long. The amount of fit models we go through, like different sizes we go through to perfect our fits. Like there's a, like a lot of brands don't do that. So like, how can we showcase to our audience, like what that craftsmanship looks like, what that community looks like, what our team looks like, and connect with them and see who they are in real life, not just digitally. So that really matters to us. And I really think that it was a part of 437's growth. And I know community is so important to you, whether it's community or influencers and gifting. So if someone wanted to get on 437's radar for gifting, what's the best way to reach out or what are you guys looking for? We're looking for that like authentic, like love for the brand, right? Like I think there's no better way to show that you would be a perfect partner at 437 than showing us that like, like, here's the thing. If you sent our partnerships email a screenshot of, hey, like I, I have this suit and or I have this workout set and here's a screenshot of literally like 10 of people that follow me asking where this is from and I sent them the link or maybe they're on LTK, like to know it. And they send us a screenshot of how their activewear set performs. You know, like it would be foolish for us to not be like, oh, wow, like she, she's converting. Like she's, she's already an advocate of the brand. She's already a genuine ambassador. Like she would be perfect to be a partner. She'd be perfect for us to send product to, right? I think like that's like a bulletproof way, at least for 437. If you can show that natural like interest and it's already converting, I mean, wow, you're already doing it out of the love for the brand. And I, that's the most, like, that's beautiful. So I think that way, way for sure. And then of course we checked our tagged photos. You know, I think like, a lot of times we see like incredible content and, you know, I believe that influencer marketing and gifting is not just about like aesthetic content. It really also is about like, yeah, like I said, like these genuine ambassadorship. And so not just in the tagged photos, but a lot of times I see stories and people are like, you know, reposting the questions they're getting and they're like, oh, where's this, you know, active where is that from? And they're showing like, this is from 437. They're doing a review out of just like the love for their audience and for the brand. So I think just that approach is one of the best ways and most underrated underrated ways I've actually seen creators reach out to brands. A lot of times you just get DMs like, hey, would love to work with 437. And I think that a lot of people have to realize that we're getting that message a hundred times a day, the exact same one. So how can you stand out and show that you actually love the brand beyond just wanting a free product, right? Yeah, I think it's really important when you're pitching a brand and you say, oh, I love the brand, show examples of loving the brand or when you posted and shared, even if it's a screenshot of a product and you just say, I love this bikini and it's like, what's in my cart? You can even exactly. show like, okay, there's interest here. So you do, you're not even having to buy the product, but you're like, okay, my followers are really interested. So if I did have this, I can already show you guys that because you know, we are still new small indie brands and we don't have endless budgets for gifting and partnerships. And so we want to be really mindful of how much we're sending out. And so those examples are really, really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where can everyone follow you and find you and the brand? Oh, okay. They can find, they can find myself at Hyla Nairi on Instagram, 437. So at 437. And then our website is at 
www.shop437.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Marina, for having me. This was an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.